0: For epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities, and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist, or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. In the last episode, featuring Dr. Jim Morrow, we discussed the sodium valproate slash debacle, what has been learnt and what changes are still being implemented to minimise risk to families both now and in the future. This week on the programme we are talking to Talou Alanyan, who is a learning disabilities nurse specialising in epilepsy and is also a CEO of Protola Global Health Consulting. Over the past year, Protola has been providing unique online training in epilepsy for both clinicians and charities in low to middle income countries. To learn more, don't go anywhere, stay with us. Hello, everybody. I'm uh, love to introduce you today the most wonderful, fabulous um, Talu Alanyan. Um, <laughs> Talu and I are actually friends, but we also work together professionally. Um, so, uh, Tolu, please tell everybody about yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Lanian and I am a registered learning disability
1: nurse um, with a special interest in epilepsy, and also
0: um, the CEO of Pretola Global Health and Consultant Limited. Gosh, what titles. I love this. So, Tolu, tell us how you got into the work that you do, and also how you ended up specialising in epilepsy, because we have lots, well, not enough learning disability nurses, but Yours is quite specific. So tell us how this came about.
1: My journey into epilepsy actually started years ago um, before my family and I relocated um, into the United Kingdom. From where? From Nigeria. So I, I was born in Nigeria, I grew up in Nigeria. And then um, I remember growing up, um, we would watch uh, well some movies of people having seizures, seizures. Um, done in the Nigerian context then um, and the, the, the impression we got then was it was a lizard moving around people's brain you know whenever they're having seizure that there's something moving around in their brains um, and anytime this lizard moved around in their brain they would have a seizure. And I remember thinking then, how did the lizard get into their princess In Nigeria, you'd see lizards, lizards around, you know, kind of things. And, and though they don't live in your house, but you see them out and about. And I used to wonder, how did these little creatures, get? How, how can they get into someone's brain? And then um, I remember a particular incident. My dad was driving. My dad was a teacher and my mom was a nurse in Nigeria. Um, and my we were driving along on the road and someone was having a seizure in the middle of the road. So all we knew was we saw loads of people just running off. You know, it was like um, there was a riot and people were just running, scared. So my mom told my dad to slow down and wait. And then she saw that there was someone on the floor and being a nurse, so she told my dad to stop and she went to support this person on the floor. So my dad got out as well to help her, locked me in the car so nothing would happen to me. So I was watching from behind the car to see what was going on at this point everyone had left this young man on the floor he was having you could see he was having a you know jerking movement he was having a seizure and my my mom supported him he later recovered got up and got up and ran off quickly my parents later came back into the car so I asked them what that was all about and my mom said he was having a seizure but she knew what to do so he was having a seizure. And then my dad said something that I would never forget. He said he was one of his students. That boy was one of his students. So my dad knew him. We didn't know he was when we stopped. We didn't know, my, my dad didn't know his identity. We just knew that there was someone on the floor having an event. My parents went to help him. But imagine if my parents had not stopped before they now realized, my dad now realized, oh, I actually know him. But he got up quickly and ran off due to the embarrassment and, and, you know, um, the situation he found himself. So he left. So that that memory was stuck with me, you know, it it stuck with me over the years until when we moved to, you know, the UK and then I go into learning disability nursing.
0: How did you get into it? Why would you choose to specialise in learning disability nursing?
1: Oh, learning disability nursing, you need to blame my uncle for that. So my uncle, that's my mom's younger brother, is a physiotherapist and he works and lives with his family in, in the Republic of Ireland. So he lives in a small county, a beautiful county in the Republic of Ireland and he's a chief physiotherapist there and he actually works in, in, in an establishment for people with learning disabilities. So he works with people with ch- children and adults with learning disabilities in there. Um, so I've always wanted to be like him because he's my one of my best uncles. So I always wanted to be like him. So I wanted to be a physiotherapist. Oh, my goodness. OK. <laughs> so when um, I, I completed, when I was about to complete my UCAS application, then um, I told him, I said, look, I'm going to do. Physio. I'm gonna put up my um, application. I'm gonna my application in for physiotherapy, and he said, hmm, "Why don't you look into learning disability nursing?" And I was like, "No, I don't even know what that is all about." And he said, "Go look into it because I did I had no cell of recognition for it. I didn't know what learning disability was. I had absolutely no clue about what it was. So he said, "Go look, look, go look it up." Um, you would you would love it, and then I went online, looked it up, did a bit of my Google search, and I was just blown away. You know, I I just could not imagine. Um, you know, I, I was just so blown away by what I learned, and I felt like okay, this is a for me. At that point, it wasn't about epilepsy. It was about the fact that I wanted to know more about people with neurodisabilities, autism, Down syndrome. It was completely new, foreign to me. I'd never seen to my best of recollection. I don't think I've seen a child with autism. I, I, you know, growing up, I didn't have a clue people like that exist until when, um, you know, I started thinking of my career. So I saw it and I was like, wow, I want to know more. And that's that's it about me. I always want to know more. As soon as I get into a topic of I want to know more, I'll be into it. So um, I, I put in my application and got go admitted into University of Southampton, started my nursing degree in 2009. And it was when I was doing my, doing my nursing degree that I realised, oh my goodness, epilepsy was a big, big issue in the sense that it was a common um,
0: comorbidity with people with learning disabilities and autism. Isn't it funny, though? People will say that person's got autism or oh, that my person will say I've got autism or learning disabilities, but they would never say they have epilepsy as well. It's almost like that was a hanger-on thing and still something even within medicine, I think, that... Was not spoken of so much, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's the, the, a huge
1: stigma around it. I've heard parents say, not here in the UK, in, 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 you know, when I've gone to train, teach or train in other countries, I've heard parents say that they would rather prefer their child um, have a diagnosis of autism than a diagnosis of epilepsy. You know, and dying itself it makes you start to think, why would a parent prefer a diagnosis, one diagnosis over, over the other when their child might have
0: both? And also that's far too broad a generalisation, isn't it? That's far too broad a generalisation because, OK, what? where are they on the autism scale and where are they in terms of epilepsy as well? You, it's, you can't say, it's like sexuality, isn't it? You can't say, oh, you know, uh, everybody is exactly the same. It's the fear.
1: Of not wanting to ad- accept that diagnosis of epilepsy, so that that was how I got into epilepsy yeah. anyway. And um, and then I realized, like I said, it was very common in the in the group of um, children and adults I came in contact with during my nursing training, and that brought back the memory of my childhood memory around epilepsy. And I wanted to know more about it. So I, I fortunately, I, I was fortunate to have mentors during my nursing training that were really interested in epilepsy. So they would, and they saw that I was quite inquisitive about it. I asked loads, loads and loads of questions. So I would, you know, get involved in loads of activities around epilepsy assessments, um, monitoring patients and supporting families training. And that was when I met Kim Morley when she was working in Southampton then. Um, and I would tag along in the clinics, just wanted to learn more around it. And then when I finished my nursing degree, when I was about to wrap up my nursing degree, I knew that I still wanted to acquire more knowledge around epilepsy diagnosis and management so I applied for my master's in King's College and that was when King's College was still running the epilepsy um, slash epileptology MSc degree uh, MSc program and I applied for it then started it almost immediately um, finishing my nursing degree
0: and that's my history around it. What would you say is like your purpose now with that sort of background and I mean I know we've already sort of said you especially that it's a continuous learning experience the more we find out about epilepsy and indeed autism and learning disabilities you're like oh my god you become like a sponge trying to trying to take in all this information but where, where are you kind of like now and also I'd love to and no doubt listeners would love to hear about how you are kind of in a way going back to your roots it's, it's rather glamorous in a way, I'd say, that, you you know, you're based over here, but you've also, you have set up this wonderful organization called Protola, which is helping people in um, developing countries as well. Tell us a bit about that and where you are now. I'm, I'm a bit of an interesting one. I, I don't like to pull myself into a box.
1: Basically, you can define me in different areas, depending on which context or which country or w- whatever you're trying to, so I you can't just do, I'm not one person. Even I myself struggle to define myself in one, in, in a particular, um, say, okay, this is everything about me just now. That's because my interest varies, and that's because I'm so interested in epilepsy yeah. and neurodisability everything about disability, calling learning disability or intellectual disability autism because growing up i when when i sit back and reflect about the environment i grew up in i wonder what happened to those children because like i said i never saw any growing up and if we did because it, it was later that i started re- thinking about some of the people we would see in the middle of the streets begging for arms and, and things like that and because they're physically disabled i had a conversation with my uncle being a physiotherapist and he works with, we're kind of both in the same field um and he said look a lot of those children had cerebral palsy right there's a huge number of people isn't it yeah yeah but then they were not they either didn't get the right diagnosis and they didn't get the right help and the right treatment and and the right therapy needed and there they are on the streets not being able to go to school begging for arms and and you know selling petty things just to be able to make just to be able to you know, feed themselves. And so I started thinking, that's why I had to sit back and go, why have I not seen these people? Why did I not come in contact? And then I go, I know, Where are they I, hidden, right? they are they hidden? And then I'm like, oh yeah, actually I remember seeing some on the streets, but I didn't know what it was. So um I want to I want to kind of bring out these hidden kids out into the light as to say we there's a problem here you know let's stop hiding people and so thinking now in in now things are getting better because organizations are springing up and information people are getting to know more about this uh, you know children with with neurodisabilities but it's not quick enough it's still not fast enough and there's still a lot to do. So I want to do my epilepsy thing. I'm still doing my epilepsy thing, but I still also want to champion the learning disability and autism aspect. So I'm into a whole lot of stuff. And that's why actually, so I, it first started when I became the chair um, for... Um, medical assistance Sierra Leone. At that point, I was a, a trustee member. Later, I'm, I'm now the chair of this um, charity, and actually, I love what we do with it because it's a re- UK registered charity that provides medical access to people in 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 Sierra Leone. I'm not a Sierra Leonean, but Nigerian Sierra Leone. They're, they're like two countries not far apart in West Africa.
0: Have you been to Sierra Leone before? Oh, because you
1: have visited, haven't you? I have visited Sierra Leone and I realised we actually have a whole lot in common (laughs) than I ever knew. The
0: thing is though, you say we, I presume that you're referring to Nigeria and Sierra Leone. But the thing is... Nigerians and Sierra Leone. Yeah, but come on humans, we have so much in common no matter our continent. And I think that that's something which is yet to be recognised by the majority. So we have... People in the UK with epilepsy, cerebral palsy, autism, Downs, we have them in Sierra Leone. We have people just like us in Nigeria, et etc. et cetera. I think it's just, uh, not just, but I think culture has a huge thing to do, huge thing to do with how people are treated, how people are cared for. Um, then you have other things within society, of course, um, impacting people in different ways in terms of things like financing or lack thereof you know or government intervention and i guess these things can't be changed overnight but something that um i've noticed um is that since lockdown especially so many of us have come together from these different countries right and we're saying okay these things are awful and you know obviously like in the uk um i'm always a bit worried about sounding a bit patronizing like Oh, gosh, I, I empathize. But the thing is, people don't take it that way because they know that we would not be reaching out um, if we didn't care. And we can just do so much more together. We can all learn from each other. Um, that's a huge thing, the education. And I think that's kind of something that you truly recognize being that glamorous, you know, oh, person in between both consonants, darling. Um, you realize, okay, what can we do with this? And that's where Pretola comes in, I believe. Is that right? That's where Pretola comes in, really, because it was when I got to Sierra and
1: I, I, did some work there. And then I went back to Nigeria. Um, I've, mm. I've been back, you know, to Nigeria and I realized actually the need is global. It is global indeed. A lot of times we talk about this global right. thing, the gaps and epilepsy gaps and all that. But actually it's, 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 we know the new epilepsy is one of the most common neurological condition globally but until when you're in these yeah. countries you know similar you know countries of lower middle income countries before you actually realize the gaps you can read up on it. you can or actually yeah. you need to be in there to see it yourself to hear it yourself to feel it yourself mm-hmm. that you know Actually, we have a massive issue yeah. here. And that's why I, I started pre toll as to okay, how can I, a, a young lady that, that was born in Nigeria, grew up in Nigeria, and has been blessed, you know, to live here in the UK, practice here in the UK, um, settled here, live here with my family and all, be able to do work with, you know, support countries that, that's I have this, you know, this massive gap, and and I know, you know, putting my my hat on, so putting my Nigerian hat on and my British hat on, (laughs) the gap is wide. Okay, the gap. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. the The gap is wide. There. You see, countries in some of these lower middle income countries, especially the the the, the, the low low, you know, um, economic countries, they don't even have an EEG. They don't have an EEG machine. They don't even have access to meds. And when they have access to some medication, some of their clinicians don't know how to support the people they're using. They they're using the little knowledge they have, um, because they've not had access to more of the specialist training that we have. We have access to here in developing in developed countries. So it's how can I bridge that gap? What can I give back? What can I do in my own little way? And how can I get my colleagues, my fantastic colleagues here, to also support that as well? I know a lot of you know, clinicians. I know of people like Kim Molly, that, that Kim actually is, is an epilepsy specialist nurse midwife, that is my mentor and, and my colleague as well. And I know she's passionate about countries like that. She's been to Ethiopia a couple of times. I know of people, other nurses and doctors that are passionate, but they can't maintain that because they've also got their practice here. So how can I bridge that gap? That's why um, you know that's one of the 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 things we we've set up through Pretolas to to develop the specialist training, not just for epilepsy alone, but also neurodisability training for clinicians delivered by clinicians you know so it will be um clinicians um in in developed countries and and other you know getting an array of clinicians to actually support their peers in other parts of the world that are struggling and need more knowledge actually by just you know supporting them through virtual training and that has been helping you know that's the the feedback we've had with the first training we've done has been so encouraging that i don't want
0: it to stop we're not stopping well it's not going to stop and i would say i i'd like to say through my experience with you and pretola because uh that something i think that makes you so and pretola so different gosh i sound like i'm so big you up, but i love it right (laughs) is that you know, you just mentioned clinicians only, but that is not the only part of the training that you offer. I think you may be involving some marvelous people affected by epilepsy. Is that not true? Definitely. I, I love, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate
1: of co production, working with people with lived experience. I am a nurse. I've got my degree, I've got my master's degree in and all that, but I still haven't i don't have epilepsy okay and i don't it's not like Mm. i want to have it i don't have epilepsy i can talk from it i can empathize i can work with families around it but still do not have the condition the lived experience around the condition or neuro disability and all that that's why i Mm. it's it's important that we get the voices of people with these conditions they need to be involved. Because we can I, I don't like seeing people as just patients. They're not just patients. They're not just someone with the condition. There's so much more about them and their families and people around them. They need to have a voice where they can impute into policies, into uh, you know, making a change with others. So our training, all the training we're putting together, especially the international ones, um, which which are more of the long Longer term, so usually they're like three months training, virtual training. We involve people with lived Mm -hmm. experience. Um, Like the next one we're putting together would have a, a mother with with a child um, of epilepsy, because we want people to hear from the parents' point of view how it impacted on them, their their thoughts processes, and how it in, impacted on the family, and how how much they are to how far they are to go to get the help their child needed. We've got adult, a woman with epilepsy. We've got someone like Tori Robinson speaking to to to, to people teaching. Um, <laughs> we've got um, we're, we're we're linking up with a father trying to get his experience as to how, how his journey into um, fatherhood whilst he had, you know, right. living with epilepsy himself. um, We're trying to get all that because we want to give people, we want people to see from the other point of view in the sense that in some countries, all they see when they look at their children, their child with epilepsy, they think, oh, life is over for that child. That child cannot, cannot, right, cannot exactly. become anything. They can't They can't, have an education, they can have a family, but that's not necessarily true. That's not true because we have people with epilepsy in, in eye governments, you know, in, em, employed and employed and, and and they are employers themselves. We have mothers, they, they, they've gotten married, they've had children. Yes, it might need a bit of more work, support from their specialists, their doctors, but my goodness, it's not impossible. So we want them to hear um, from that point of view and learn, learn from me. And I'll just quickly, if Tori does not mind me saying this, when, when we, the last training we did, the epilepsy assessment management course, so we call it the EAMC, that's our three-month international epilepsy course. And Tori taught, Tori's Tori session. And I'm not just saying this because is my friend. No, I'm actually saying it because it was a powerful session indeed. The feedback we had, bear, bear in mind, a lot of people that joined, that, that, that most people that registered for the course did not know Tory from, they'd never heard of Tory before, and they're from different countries. We have people from um, Haiti, we have people from Zambia, Cameroon, Nigeria, 12 different countries, you know, register for the training. And they from week one, in January up onto the last week, that all the weeks they they, they learned from all the experts, all the professionals that came to teach, to share their knowledge. From the beginning, we started from what is epilepsy, from basics to history-taking. How do you take history? How do you take accurate medical history? And up onto diagnosis, differential diagnosis, and a whole lot, women and epilepsy, And different topics, 12 topics, up until we did Tori's session. And that was just like an icing, you know, a a tasteful, delicious icing (laughs) on the cake, you know, to crown it all. Delicious. (laughs) Because the feedback we had, it made the clinicians start to think about, these people are not just people you give medication to. They are human beings. They are not robots. You don't just tell one, um, tell them, oh, take this morning and night time. And that's it. There are other aspects about their lives that you need to be concerned about. You need to look into the stigma associated with their condition. How do you support them? The mental health issues associated around the condition. How, what help do they need? And how are they coping with? their families and and I nearly cried during our session because I'd known Tori for some time. She had kind of shared bits and bits of her story with me, but never heard of it. I'd never heard it from the beginning to the end, up until up until that day. And I just thought, oh my goodness, she's so she's such a lovely, fantastic lady to have overcome the odds. And yet she's still here. So that's the kind of experience I want people to get from our training. That As a clinician, you get that from the patient perspective. And then the next course, which is more open to caregivers, advocates, teachers, anyone that wants to learn about epilepsy, they also learn that there's always light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Yeah. And I think what's so lovely about the course as well is we are saying that we understand that sometimes they'll feel like there's life at at life light at the end of the tunnel and then say you could have a really awful down period where you have a cluster of seizures then that light understandably disappears but it will pop up again because we you know your your clinicians are there to help you um the people that we are also educating being families they are going to be there to help you too because they are looking at your epilepsy and often mental health issues associated through a different lens and this education is absolute power for people whether they're people with the diagnosis whether they are carers family members or whether they be clinicians as we were just speaking of um but also um charity um Uh, members and founders um, because we're going to have a lot of people from charities from different countries attending aren't we Um, because I think often in in um, mid to low income countries or the other way around um, often the people that speak to those affected by epilepsy are people from charities rather than family members so they're a real key a key part of the whole puzzle right yeah
1: definitely they are we need to empower people we want people, we want the charity advocates to go out there with confidence. We want them to go out there being able to answer questions. We want them to go out there empowered with the right tools that they need to be able to actually make epilepsy a priority in our countries. We're, we're, we're encouraging them to go out there to advocate for, for epilepsy, but we need to empower them to do that. Um, and, Really, the 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 work is huge. I always say it that epilepsy is not one man's problem. And my dad would this is actually because my dad would say that the heavens will fall down is not the problem of one person. Because we're all under here. So if the heavens falls down, who is gonna fall on you in
0: in London and on me where I am? (laughs) <laughs> it's it's the ripple effect if one person has epilepsy and is feeling depressed or has seizures or even, even if the seizures are controlled the fact that you never know what's going to happen the people that love you whether they're you know, able to talk about it or not. They're going to be it affected. Affects everyone. There is, you know, the, it's just totally ripple and affects the whole of society and even economies exactly. it affects. So and and it's never just that one person as we know. There are loads it's one of, as you were saying, one of the most common neurological conditions in the whole world. So, you know, it's something that we have to be talking about.
1: Hmm. It's time to stop having these conversations in silo it's it's time to stop having this conversation as right. it only concerns that that ministry it only concerns them it only concerns the health ministry no it concerns employer it concerns education ministry it concerns family it concerns and also human rights issues it it concerns everyone Indeed. that's why the conversations need to be had uh, we need to be having those conversations across board the issues around stigma cannot be cannot be you know resolved cannot we can't tackle it without everyone sitting on board and that's why i say that it's a puzzle we all need to come together to fit to make to get the grand picture to get everything you know to make this puzzle together everyone needs to come together Play their part, but we can only do that when people know what they're doing, and that is by training.
0: Yes, and you know what? You're also making me think. World Health Organization, quite literally, we, you know, they need to be made more aware of the impact of epilepsy and how severe or how severely it can affect people's lives. Um, Even statistics that we read on certain professional pages, the statistics are well out of date. It is, it is a bit, a bit crazy. So, and also kind of following on what you were saying before rather than us having our tiny little silos in many different places let's take the education you're so wonderfully offering us all both clinicians patients etc and work as one you know and and granted we have different cultures which affect us differently but we should all be singing from that same hymn sheet and saying, okay here are us lot impact or, or our family members whatever um, impacted by epilepsy Let's get have the same message, the same level of education, bring that together and impact not just the country, but the world in a positive way.
1: Exactly. Imagine if we could have the big farmers, the, the the pharmaceutical companies, the those that make this medications, the antiseizure medications, they need to put their they need to put their money where their mouth is, in the sense that you're making this medication, but we actually need people to be trained to be able to use the medication right. We need people so you need to you're not just there to, you know, sell, make medication, sell it, but actually we're there to empower people. So they need to get involved as well. And that's why we have organizations like the OWP Row Foundation supporting this because they understand the need for training, the need for education. So we want other organizations, other pharmaceutical organizations, you know, get on board. This concerns you, you know, this concerns every one of us.
0: Novartis, UCB, GSK, you know, and to rest assured, we are very appreciative of any help that comes in because uh, the situation we're in at the moment is, as you were saying, like very Foundation, etc., who are providing these drugs, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. But we only have limited drugs that are available. And we know that lots of people affected by epilepsy can only take certain drugs or only certain drugs will be effective. And also these drugs are not things that can just be taken off oh, for a couple of weeks and then you're all good. They're things that have to be taken indefinitely. And if you suddenly stop a drug because it, it's, you've run out of it, you don't have access to it, you're kind of welcoming lots of seizures and even possibly SUDEP as well, which is something which we will t- you know touch on um and I think I did in my training as well a bit because people are at much higher risk of pseudo in mid to low income countries um as well as additional accidents because they don't they tend to not have their seizures controlled. But things are on the up because yeah. Well we're having this conversation. So please people, if you've got any questions at all, you know that you can send them over to, to Lua or I and we if we can't answer them we'll forward you on to the right person. And um, so you what? How should people contact you? People can contact us. We're on social media. Um, we also have our website,
1: which is w. Well, um, Tori, I'm sure Toby will put it out as well. But I'll just say, we just if you can go on Google, type in Pretola Global Health and Consulting. We're there. Um, we're on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram, and we're actually all out there to provide training so our training is not just international we also provide training in the in the UK as well so um but yeah you can find us and I'm sure Tori you'll be able to help us put our information out there for people to be able to access us
0: yeah it'll be um underneath this video or, the, or this podcast because we've got both here but anyway this is all brilliant stuff brilliant stuff and there's nothing else like this really in the world connecting people internationally so um, it's been lovely, lovely having you, Tulu and no doubt uh, we will have you again um, and perhaps have an update this time next year or even in six months to find out more about what's been going on and how things have developed because things are changing so quickly in a positive way. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Today, I thank Talua Lanyon for her time and for making us aware of the clear need for training in epilepsy in low to middle income countries and indeed the services that she is providing through Protola. For more information on Tolu and her global work, you can find links in the description below. Follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook and we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Do subscribe to our podcast and know that we are always trying to improve what we are doing here for the programme. I'm Tori Robinson.